This podcast is presented by The Ed Narrative, a place for reflective discourse on education. Visit theednarrative.com to subscribe to this podcast or our blog. You can also find the podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Stitcher. And please, leave a review to help us grow this community of educators. Welcome to episode 16 of the Ed Narrative Podcast. My name is Darren Ralston, and I am the producer of this podcast. This time around, we'll be having a roundtable on establishing a coaching model. And to do that, I've got Debbie Collins, who is the Assistant Superintendent of Student Learning at Albemarle County Public Schools, as well as Jennifer Sublett, Director of Professional Learning, and John Hobson, whom you may all recall from uh, two of the other episodes we've done, who is a lead coach for social studies and also one of the original instructional coaches at the beginning of the Albemarle model. We'll be discussing the processes and philosophies in designing a coaching model, as well as how our model has both persisted and evolved in the past decade. So the idea for this episode came to me while I was at the Student-Centered Coaching Conference in Richmond a couple weeks ago, Um, and I met a lot of folks who were from different districts who were operating without a model or were maybe doing part-time coaching and really didn't have a good set of guidelines for them to operate on. So I figured that this would be a good way to kind of provide some folks at least the way one district did it. So without any further ado, let's go ahead and get started. But uh, to begin, especially since there's four of us at the table here, I want to make sure we start with a brief introduction of who we are, what we do. So Debbie, if you want to start us off. Hi, Darren. I'm hey. Debbie Collins. I'm Deputy Superintendent for Amaral County Public Schools. And my role when we first started thinking about instructional coaches was part of the point team uh, for the development of the model. Okay. What, do you, what do you mean by point team? Well, there was a group. We called it the steering committee. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to figure out what model we might uh, aspire to mm-hmm. and how we might think about folding in um, some necessary reductions in positions with the emergence of a new way of thinking about supporting teachers. I'm John Hobson. I'm a lead coach, and one of my roles is to supervise uh, instructional coaches, but I was uh, one of those first instructional coaches, and the model started 10 years ago. And I'm Jen Sublett. I'm the Director of Professional Learning in Amaral County, um, but similar to John, I served as a lead coach, um, came on board the second year of the model, and was in that role for five years and actually was also a teacher um, who was brought in when the steering committee was meeting to talk about for the, the planning model. part mm-hmm. of it okay. so. what need was it that the steering committee felt was not being met that this idea of having a coaching team came up so so sort of what brought that to the surface that this was maybe the way to go? I think I can start there. You guys can jump in. One of the things, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we were in a um, moment of recession and we were reducing a a number of positions, not only in the central, at the central level, but across the school division. And prior to the instructional coaching model, we had had a model of um, experts, if you will. We had literacy specialists, we had math specialists, we had special ed specialists, we had those folks deployed in schools, and they their intention was to be able to work with teachers directly to provide on-the-spot job-embedded um, professional learning. 
but over time, one of the things we noticed uh, as, our, as our needs in our schools developed, those positions, a lot of the time, became intervention positions. So the specialist was assigned students, and as soon as that happened, the, the professional learning that, that we had intended uh, was put aside for the immediate mm-hmm. urgency of the things that schools have to do, which is to work with students. So it was that model we weren't sustaining as being able to work with directly with teachers. It had become um, the model of working with students mm-hmm. with a little bit of working with right, teachers. Right. So it had dawned on us that, that we really weren't getting the kind of movement that we wanted with those positions working with teachers. The steering committee started grappling with that. We wanted a model that supported teachers that was directly involved with what happened in classrooms, but we didn't want it to slip back to the place of working with children. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of our dilemma as we worked through the process. I think just from my perspective, I certainly wasn't planning things, but I do know that the message was loud and clear that we were going to be generalists and not experts. And I think that was a struggle to sort of understand that and come to terms with what that meant. Uh, for you or for, for me, I, For me and a lot of my okay. fellow coaches, I think coming from secondary land in particular, I had a social studies background. I didn't... I. It was hard for me to conceive of how I was going to work with people outside of social studies. So I didn't really understand coaching as a philosophy mm-hmm. quite yet. But I, it was sort of drilled into us that we're going to be a generalist model. And, um, you know, while it's okay to have particular expertise, uh, the expectation was that you were going to work with all teachers uh, in, the, in the secondary level in my case. And I think that also speaks to we had a need for reallocating resources we also were looking to avoid the pitfalls of the drive-by pd model of the one session and done and knowing full well that just like you know classroom lecture it's efficient but it's not effective and so how do you get at the efficacy of job embedded and integrated but i think from the beginning one of the things that struck me and part of it was you know making mistakes and stepping on pitfalls and things like that why the model of an expert is sometimes not the most effective way to help others build their own capacity. And I'm, I'm with John and, you know, coming from a content world, um, shared passion, shared expertise, always in this fun to roll up your sleeves and, and, and start working to really have a model that worked on reflective practice and public practice and how important that is for teaching really took a philosophical mindset shift um, both, I think, for the individuals who were there in the early stages, but also mm-hmm. for the organization. Mm-hmm. And so it was that really having to have a philosophical underpinning that we developed over time, but that also I think that steering committee was really able to begin articulating. The mission was always clear from the beginning, and mm-hmm. that was really helpful. So uh, when you say the mission was clear, and you guys can jump in wherever, was it the idea of coaching as a mission, or was it that you were going to try and do something that was a general approach to embedded PD and you maybe hadn't gotten, you hadn't landed on coaching yet, but you knew sort of what you wanted. I guess I'm looking at... No, I think we'd landed on coaching. Okay. Uh, It was, you know, if you think about 10 years ago, coaching was beginning to get a little, get some movement. Mm -hmm. We had done some study of coaching and had had started thinking about what does coaching really mean? And we'd landed on that sense of reflection, that it really is about the teacher having the opportunity for somebody else to listen. And I think that's also the shift from expert to generalist. It's sometimes 
when you have on an expert hat. There's more telling than yeah. listening. Mm -hmm. And to learn to be a coach, the expert was somewhat in conflict mm -hmm. of coaching. Um, so, so would you say it's sort of like the coach would be getting in the way of themselves? Uh, that's, 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 that was the conversation that the steering committee had was how do you learn how to listen better mm -hmm. uh, to reflect more and the other pieces we as you know we landed on this rotating model mm -hmm. where we the teachers were leaving students uh, becoming coaches with the intent of many of them returning to students mm -hmm. so how do you allow them to learn things that will really be beneficial to them as they figure out what their next roles are in a school division. And no one, we, could, we, we came to realize that listening and reflecting is a key element of any mm -hmm. professional, yeah. Yeah. In, and especially in our world of, of teaching and learning, that if, you, if I can think about my thinking, if I can be metacognitive, then I'm more likely to uh, reach my aspirations. Right. Uh, which is you know, the model that we want to put in place for, for students as well. So that was a lot of the, the heady kinds of conversation that the steering committee had was trying to figure out the balance mm -hmm. of all those things. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the, the rotation. So, and, and that's something where, you know, I mean, as, as a coach on that cycle, I've, I've been, at first I was kind of like, why, why? You know, and then I've started kind of seeing ways that it comes in. What um, I can think of it as coaching yourself into better teaching is that does that seems to square up with what you all think like you know I've seen coaches that have gone back into the classroom and um, Sarah Hankins and I are actually we, we did a, a questionnaire for those folks to see sort of what their experiences have been and they've been really uh, interesting to see uh, the way that they they think of themselves post instructional mm -hmm. coach position and um, we're going to be putting those out on the blog eventually, but um, we're, we're getting that all scheduled. Yeah, I think uh, aversion to change is really <laughs> strong, you know. And so when we talk about coaches rotating, I mean, what we mean is, first of all, you know, instructional coaches sign up for, for five years. And that's mm -hmm. the, the limit of how many mm -hmm. years they can coach before they cycle back into the classroom. And within that five years... Um, they are going to coach at a, a cluster of schools for two or three years and then have a new cluster of schools. And the trade-off there is the development of relationships and potentially some, some expertise at coaching. But the, the benefit of that change for the coach, first of all, is that they see they have a a broad range of experiences in different schools and ultimately I think it helps them to become a better coach and a better reflective practitioner that mm -hmm. cycles back into the classroom and I think for our, our teachers what we're hoping is that we're building capacity that's the idea of build, the coaches we're building capacity and so the the coach teacher partnership we don't want them to become reliant on one coach uh, um, you know, that they are, coaches are constantly trying to cultivate how to build capacity and that teachers are often seeking out new collaborations and new partnerships to reach their goals. And so not being just reliant on just one person to do that. John, that reminds me of the, the other piece that the, the steering committee, you know, there's three or four pieces that I think they were really clear on. One is that the, the building of the capacity of the teacher, not necessarily always to connect with a coach, but to connect across the school division and across mm -hmm. departments or grade levels in schools, that it is about the connections that we have with each other that is the, is the ultimate goal, not necessarily just the connection with the coach. Right. That coaches, we see them as having opportunities 
to connect to teachers across mm -hmm. the division in a way mm -hmm. that without them would be harder for teachers to do. Right. Kind of like a matchmaker. Right? <laughs> and I think all of it points out we, we have a very purposeful model. Mm -hmm. It's one that we, we sometimes butt up again and we have to mm -hmm. test and, and we question and then kind of come back to. And it's been really interesting to come in and out of it or work with it in different roles as a teacher, as a lead coach, as an assistant principal, and how much fidelity we have to the model, which I'm not sure as a division we always are able to have with our different programs. This feels like one that we are very clear on. And one of the ways I see that is that I actually have the question John just answered about why do coaches rotate from a new lead coach this morning. Mm -hmm. And I gave almost the verbatim answer <laughs> right. that John just gave. <laughs> and that's that model clarity that probably in the first few years it was sort of are we ever going to talk about anything else but the model? But at the same yeah. time, it's allowed us to be, and we talk about this now in our current meetings, we are a learning organization. Our organization has learned a lot about building teacher capacity and reflective practice, but we've done that through a model that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, and so mm -hmm. while there are parts of it, it's an opportunity cost. Right. to give up something to get something. Um, I think the benefit's been really strong of having that clarity. Right, and I think... Um from my perspective, being someone who's operating within that model as well. Um, you know, once I kind of got it, right, and linked into it, um, the way it's worked for me is it almost, we're reading that book Switch right now, right? And as I'm, I'm thinking about some of the concepts that are brought up by the Heath brothers, um, kind of having those, um, those sort of what is it? Uh, mapping the scripting the scripting crucial the moves, right? Yeah. Um, so, so doing that, I feel like having that model allows us to script those crucial moves so that we don't have to exhaust ourselves with decisions that aren't really ours to make. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. and so it allows it may it may mean hitting into a wall, mm -hmm. right? But at least you know that if you hit into that wall with the way that this model is is fashioned you know that you need to pass it off to somebody who can get past that. Right. Once right. you have trust in the model, yeah. you understand then there's this sort of realization that happens. And I can remember it was probably my first, maybe second week as a lead coach, mm -hmm. and one of my colleagues called and went, I saw that you were just coming from a meeting with such and such. Did you maybe promise or were you asked? And it was this like sort of landmine that we fall into of mm -hmm. doing for and not with. Right. And it was really interesting. She knew the model. She could share with me, ooh, you might step on this landmine. Here's what you need to do to navigate out of it. Mm -hmm. And then here's how your work will be better. And I think we become almost generational in how mm -hmm. we now transition those lessons learned and here's the why and see now it works. And that cycle of how we've learned and grown the model clarity, mm -hmm. it's really interesting mm -hmm. because then I think what happens is people begin to trust in it. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really part of our induction, I think, as we bring new coaches in, new lead coaches in, mm -hmm. is why we have this model. Here's what it protects. Here's how it creates better returns. Mm -hmm. um, and it's better for teachers. I came from a very different instructional coach model where okay. we were assigned to schools and we were assigned to teachers. So and, the principal would direct you to where you needed right. to go my and where you supposed meeting, to fix them? Is my first it? meeting in any capacity working in that instructional coach model was with the deputy superintendent and then with the administrator in the building mm -hmm. and then with the department chair and then I got to teachers. Well, by the time I got to teachers, they I, mean, I was just the woman from the dark side. Right. To you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I came with very little credibility. Yeah. Well, that's um, a, when, when I first was offered the position and accepted, 
my mother-in-law said, you're going to do what? And she was like, I don't think people Why really like coaches. You know? <laughs> right. like, it's like, but that's not what, <laughs> that's not my experience. Before, right. <laughs> so, um, but I think that response too, which I can, I think I can use to transition us to another angle on, on this model thing is that one of the things I, I had encountered when I was at the um, Diane Sweeney student-centered uh, conference was that for those groups that do have models, they're not the same. How did you land on this design? What what were your planning uh, procedures to get kind of where we are? And I'm sure we're still, I mean, I feel like we're still growing it. It's just not building the foundation that we've got that. Does, it, does that make sense? Yeah, I think I'm not in a position to <laughs> answer, you know, I Fair think enough. I could speak yeah. to the sort of current state. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, some of the things I the principles that have been there since I was there at the beginning and I've come back to is certainly about building capacity, about where the built-in reflection for the division and and then the structures that we are going to be you know centrally managed but school-based and we're going to have a couple of different schools was an intentional decision. Really, the ownership of the coach, if they have a boss, it truly comes from the teacher, that they're really the ones driving it. You know, we mm-hmm. have in our mission statement, part of our mission statement is to actualize teachers' goals. And we really live up to that mission. Now, we also have on the other side of that mission, you support, you know, the continuous improvement of curriculum assessment instruction. Mm-hmm. So it's it's thinking about what's good for the division and what's best practices, but ultimately we're, we're where the teacher are and we're serving them, you know, mm-hmm. not the principal mm-hmm. um, or not necessarily central office mm-hmm. initiatives. I mean, very rarely are coaches called on to, <laughs> if, if almost never, to, to implement a central office initiative. Yeah. I want to get back to the principal thing. Yeah. But I, I will say the central office initiative of uh, making sure that students have interest, I mm-hmm. mean, some of the priorities of the board is directly aligned yeah, right. with that. And I think part of the structures in the in our coaching model, which um, relies on the teacher mm-hmm. to know best what their, their students and what they're struggling with, um, does put the model in a position of being responsive. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the part for me, It it probably is the most responsive model to Mm -hmm. teachers that I have read about or heard about, that it really does rely on the premise that teachers know best Mm -hmm. uh, what their needs are and that if you ask enough questions, they can Mm -hmm. uncover what they want to do and how they want to get there. Mm -hmm. I think it also speaks to, it's it's sort of, we are a division, an organization that is not afraid of taking some leaps of faith. And so just as when we develop the lifelong learner capacities and the idea was if you teach to these, the SOLs will take care of themselves. Similarly, this is a leap of faith. And if you trust best intentions of teachers and that the goal of teachers is aligned with the division priorities of deep learning and quality learning experiences for students, rather than a top-down articulation of here are expectations and here's the path you have to take to get to them. But having a shared ethos as an organization, a coaching model that gives confidentiality as a priority, autonomy for professionals as a priority, collaboration across the division as a priority, all of that I feel like speaks to the ethos of the division. Mm -hmm. And that's really, I think, reaffirming because Mm -hmm. otherwise you can have a coaching model that feels counter to... Like it's like this rivalry. Right. They're not rivalry. Maybe, um, what would be a better word for that? Where 
doesn't match up. It's just like right. disjointed. It would have an inherent tension. Yeah. Whereas our, I feel like our coaching model speaks to an actualization of what we say our division stands for, not only for students, but also for teachers. It's why we attract high quality teachers. Mm -hmm. They want to come to a division that values their professionalism, that values their constant curiosity about their practice. We butt up against, I think, the same challenges, teachers and time, mm -hmm. um, load, um, stressors, things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that's, but those are realities that you could use as an excuse for a model that would be less teacher driven, mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, that, I mean, when we worked with Ryan Quinn, early on in the model you know let's not worry about the things we can't control who's, he, who's ryan quinn what he was uh he might have the better background i'm not familiar with him i'm sorry to sideline not at all here, but... he w came to us through darden okay. and a partnership in uh, sort of darden and curry and he observed he met with the lead coach team he helped us define the model but then also understand how to hold tight to it Okay. And it was it was nice because it was as as if he was a coach mm -hmm. for the lead coach team as we were trying to really strengthen. Kind of like a meta coach. Right. Yeah. Exactly. And there's so many times when we'll be planning and whatnot, and I'll think of an analogy. Something that, that you right, did with you know, him. Okay. Any map right. will do Thank story. You, I, I, I hadn't <laughs> heard that name come up before. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to piggyback um, about. I mean, it is a leap of faith, but I think it's also grounded in a, a beliefs about change uh, that I think are affirmed by Switch, which is that you focus on the bright spots, that it's a strengths-based approach to working mm -hmm. uh, with teachers, and that's where you're going to see change and shift happen. When you think of uh, when the model that Jim was talking about is sort of a deficit model, uh, you know that may for a time yield some change based on a kind of a behaviorist approach that mm -hmm. uh, you know the central office is coming down and you need to make this change and they'll make that change as long as somebody's looking over them. But this is grounded in a you know philosophy of you know, change comes within within and that teachers are the best at sort of identifying what they need to work on and where they need to go. Right. And there's also a precision then to instructional coaching because it is at that teacher, at that classroom level. There are other structures for if we have struggles in the division that need more of a top down. There are organizational tools so we that have are appropriate multiple for that. Right. We're not ways the only ways to solving those types yeah. of yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So to kind of get back to the confidentiality piece, the part about the the principles. When I've talked with folks who do this elsewhere, they're shocked that there seems to be a firewall, you know, between instructional coaches and principals as we practice our model. Where, I guess, would that decision have come from and what need do you feel it, it addresses? I, and I think that was an intention of this, the steering committee. And as I remember, the conversation was around trust and that this model for it to work teachers had to trust mm -hmm. that the coach was there for them and that the coach uh, did maintain confidentiality in a way that they would feel like they could share things that perhaps they wouldn't share with the supervisor. And so that I think that that first piece was established that the lead coaches mm -hmm. would have the conversation with the principals and the instructional coaches by the fact that they were sitting in faculty meetings and sitting shoulder to shoulder with teachers would hear the goals of the school. And once the, the principal uh, conveyed the goals and the objectives they had for the school year or for you know, a couple of school years about achievement levels or um, responsive techniques for making sure classrooms were engaged, then the coach could set 
side by side with the teacher and work on the the pieces of that that the the teacher wanted to move. Mm -hmm. So that shoulder to shoulder was intentional so that teachers could trust that the coaches were not fulfilling something that the principals had asked them to do or the central office had asked them to do. Um, John, I don't know how you felt about that as a coach, if that was comforting or if it puts you in an awkward position. Well, I think ultimately it was for the good because there was uh, a lot of suspicion. I don't know if distrust was where it was at the beginning of the model, but suspicion about uh, are are you here to spy on us? Mm -hmm. Uh, You would hear that sometimes. And so putting that firewall there certainly over the long term helped us to build that credibility and trust you know it wasn't one overnight so you had to constantly demonstrate that and if somebody violated that you know within the coaching model that hurt all of us um i think the flip side of that is as you were trying to you know define the job and understand the job having that firewall with a principal made it hard sometimes to sort of know you know what to do or what no learn about the school you had to find other methods and so i just think um we did in the beginning though we would have some facility facilitated conversations with principals to figure out, okay, this is what we're doing in this school. I think it was partially just to build understanding, collective understanding of what this model is like about. What, what kind of, how can you elaborate on yeah, that? Well, was so that something that was an expectation or was that? We would have, uh, I, as I recall, like maybe a monthly meeting and there would be like principals from a cluster of schools attending, I think. Um, and the, coaches would sort of go around and and share in general terms the kinds of things that they were doing and the principals would share back you know share back what they were hearing about not necessarily with individual teachers but just like this is what's you know they were saying about coaches in the school right now Mm -hmm. the principals were able to communicate uh what their goals were Uh, so i think that those meetings i don't I don't know if I knew the purpose, but my understanding was that we were just sort of building collective understanding of the model at the time, mm-hmm. you know. But those were facilitated with lead coaches there. It wasn't just instructional coaches right. and principals. Right. And I think, I mean, it's interesting having been a building level administrator with instructional coaches. We're going at such a fast problem solving speed mm-hmm. when we're in a building. Mm-hmm. Even as steeped as I was in the model, there'd be times when I wanted to be over overly directed and mm. saying like, ooh, John, could you go work with teacher so-and-so? And so that's even having come from the model, just because you're just looking for any tool you can. And when I would slow down and I found that my, even my supervisory conversations were usually reflective and full of questioning. Mm-hmm. And then sort of, well, what do you need to help move towards that goal? Teachers were more likely to say, you know what, I think I'm going to reach out to a coach. And, and getting to that part where the teacher was driving it. Mm-hmm. But if I think the model has to be clear because even as a former lead coach, every now and then I'd be like, oh, we should call a coach as opposed mm-hmm. to teacher driven. And not, not that I couldn't suggest it. And right, I would yeah. all the time, hey, don't forget the instructional coaches or let's invite them along. Um, but it is interesting. Um, at the building level, you're just looking for any tool you can to move things forward. Mm-hmm. And sometimes having the confidence to just pause and let the professional think about their goal think about the tools they need, build the relationships that they need to build is more effective mm-hmm. than. Well, and I think that, you know, from from what I've seen of, of how the model has progressed, even in the time that I've been in, this is year four for me, um, I feel like some of that isn't there anymore, that suspicion. Mm-hmm. I can't 
tell you how many times I've heard just in this first couple of weeks, oh, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> and I was like, it's like, wow, I don't think that was, that wasn't something that was on my radar in year one. I, I there was still a lot of talk about, well, you know, you got to be careful because some of the teachers will think this or that. And I haven't felt that much this year so far and last year either. Mm-hmm. So I, I mean, it's a long game. It sounds like getting to that point, like you were saying, it was it was gradual. Um, but I think that it sounds like there was some revision in the in the model with that principles piece. Where are some other points that maybe you know things have been? Uh, we need to redirect things. I, I don't I don't know. I, I'm just curious because I hadn't been aware that that was something that had occurred in the. When I was a lead coach, we would every now and then have meetings with principals. And it was interesting because I think even for coaches, many of our coaches were teacher leaders. They were used Mm -hmm. to being on department chairs or team Mm -hmm. leaders. They were used to Mm -hmm. working with their administrator. So there was a sense that coaches were like, oh, we just need to tell the principal what's happening so they better understand. And again, it's that sort of slowing down and focusing on the reflection that happens with the teacher, I think we found after a while we would have the meetings and they just weren't real productive. Okay. That they weren't creating insight or building a lot of common understanding that couldn't be built in other ways. Mm-hmm. There's something, I remember we used to sort of paint the picture of if you you are taking a risk as a professional when you are trying something new. Right. And you've invited a colleague to come in and coach and be with you to help support you. And so it's a vulnerability. Mm-hmm. If you then are walking down the hall and you see that colleague coach sitting in your supervisor's office, even if it's the most benign conversation in the world, there's a little voice in the back of the mm-hmm. teacher's head that goes, oh, I wonder what that's about. Right. You know, I just told them I'm nervous about integrating podcasts into my right. class. I hope they're not sharing that I'm mm-hmm. nervous about this mm-hmm. risk I'm taking. So it's just that perception is reality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we sort of thought very clearly and carefully about the communication channels that we had. Mm-hmm. Well, and for me, there's so little that teachers really control about their life. Mm-hmm. You know, we set, we set bell schedules. We set the kids that come in their classroom. I really was trying to think about something that is just for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other, you know, the other Meaning piece, for the teacher. For the teacher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have enough coaches that everybody can have a coach. Mm-hmm. So it really is a choice that a mm-hmm. teacher makes. There's other ways of getting professional learning. We, we, and we provide them all. Mm-hmm. So if you'd rather go and, and listen to a podcast or some course online, you can do that. If you'd rather go to a workshop and be involved in that and be engaged in that and then go try in your classroom, you mm-hmm. can do that. So mm-hmm. seeing coaches as just one way out of many for you to learn and stretch and grow, I think is also important. It's not the only way. Mm-hmm. It's one way. Right. Darren, you asked about shifts and changes. You mm-hmm. know, and I what I'm struck by is how much is the same, you know, right? Yeah. Uh, from when I started uh, mm-hmm. to where I am now. And I think whatever change has happened has been very evolutionary, you know. Mm-hmm. There's been subtle shifts in how we cluster and organize folks. I think we created, uh, you know, the CPA, the coaches, performance appraisal, mm-hmm. things like that that have shifted our work. Enhanced. Enhanced, mm-hmm. right? But not dramatically some of the same sort of philosophical underpinnings uh, that are there at the beginning are still the mantra that coaches repeat today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I haven't been here for the whole time, obviously, but I feel that the model, as I've come to understand it, has been consistent in the mm-hmm. time I've been in with the uh, PLC. 
Let me skip through here a little bit because I think we've kind of bounced around to mm. some of these um, things, which is nice. When, when the when the model was ready to roll out, right? When when the steering committee had kind of gotten its feet underneath itself and decided what the shape of this thing would look like, what was the um, how did you go about preparing the faculties? Um, for this new way to do professional development, to, to uh, do reflection, all of the things that coaching does. One of the things I, I, I do remember is the steering committee doing some um, footwork around that. Mm -hmm. I, they, if I remember right, we had a document. Um, I don't know that we had a logic map, but it was probably something similar. And I think we had the mission. Yeah, we had the mission. And I think that. For ACPS or? The, no, the, the coaching, coaching, coaching model. model. Okay. And we would throw oh. <laughs> scenarios up against mm -hmm. it to kind of... And I, if I remember right, the steering committee went around to the schools mm -hmm. and um, they talked. And I don't know that the whole group went, but I think, you know, three or four people from the would go to this school mm -hmm. and they would talk about what we meant by. Mm -hmm. um, there was, you know, the other piece there, there you know, in that transition... A lot of school leaders mm -hmm. shifted roles, mm -hmm. so that was you know there's a lot of trying Life to change. figure out. Wait, what? Mm -hmm. What do you mean by it's going to be centrally managed? Mm -hmm. uh, and so there's lots, and I remember lots and lots of questions, and a little bit of a. I don't believe that. I don't believe that that's how you're going to do this. Okay. I I think Kinda it really like smoke will. And mirrors I think it really will be yeah. what we've just been doing, but you're just packaging mm -hmm. it in a different way. You mean I really do get to decide? You know, mm -hmm. and there was a little bit of. You know, consternation about I. Uh, we're not sure that the model you're describing will be the model we'll have next year, and the next year, and the next year. So there was that mm -hmm. a little mm -hmm. skeptical yeah. uh, suspicion of if we really were going to stay with the model. Mm -hmm. I remember that part. I would say, like on the sort of administrative end, I know as, as somebody who um, who interviewed originally. I believe like there were like 15 principals sitting in on my interview. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. I think almost wow. all the administrators, all the administrators did some interviews, mm -hmm. some interviews. Um, mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so it was one daunting, team or the other daunting for me. <laughs> <laughs> didn't know where to look. Hey guys. <laughs> and I think we've continued that to build understanding about the model is bringing in administrators in to do the interviews with us mm -hmm. and bringing in teachers. So we've continuously tried to build sort of, knowledge and understanding of what we're doing with lots of folks over time. But I think with the administrators, you know, that was kind of critical for them to understand. So sitting in on the interviews is a great way to understand. Yeah. Oh, I've forgotten about that, John, where yeah. there was, I mean, we had, we did have every principal in the division. A lot of the assistant principals sitting on those interviews, those interview teams were massive. <laughs> <laughs> they were. <laughs> As somebody who uh, applied in the last hour, I was like, what did, what I, did I, I do? get myself into? Whoops. <laughs> yeah. This sounds more important than what I applied for. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, so <laughs> so you, you said you were part of the steering team. Is that right? I was like, they would bring in teachers to sort of bounce ideas around. I wasn't as like months and months and months. Okay, but so you were in the full of, span. Right, it was towards the end. There are a couple of us that were classroom teachers. Um, so as a teacher that was in on that, kind of getting to what John and Debbie had just talked about with that sort of uh, preparation coming in, I mean, you had a different role in that process. Um, what did it look like for you as a teacher that was kind of 
just in on the uh, on the planning part of it and be, being a voice in the process. But I think part of it again, you know, it's ten years ago, but there right, is right. that. I remember that sort of sense of you were just sort of doing that sort of proof of concept. Is it this? Okay, no, well, well, then would it be this? You know, and so little things like um, we were going through a, a, a budget situation where people were, you know, loads were changing and, mm-hmm. and positions were being eliminated. And so it was a well, if we if we had a group of kids who were struggling, could the coaches take those kids once a week and work with them? No, but but it's an adult in the building mm-hmm. with a degree. <laughs> Why? And so it, it was that sort of testing it. Right. Um, and I remember also a lot of conversation around the mission. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that sort of statement of making sure it really was carefully articulated, that it be about collaborative, reflective public practice, actualizing um, professional goals, that it felt like a very purposeful model. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. And then the interesting thing for me in, in the conversation that the principals had at the time is that we had we have we had models for s- teachers that needed uh, some more administrative support. Mm-hmm. We really didn't have a, a model for those teachers that were doing a bang up job mm-hmm. with what they did. We right. they were kind of usually left alone. Mm-hmm. They sometimes weren't visited by a administrator at all. Right. Um, so we really were trying to think about what are the, the pieces that we already have in place and what is missing. And so that teachers that are interested in honing their craft and thinking about other ways of doing things really didn't have a whole lot of attention, if you will. Right. So I want to make sure that I'm honoring your time, um, but I wanted to touch on sort of a generalized process for somebody who might be involved in coming up with a model, right? Some things that maybe are provisos or, or, or things that you would recommend when going about doing this because, you know, like I said, I had encountered several folks who were like, we don't even know, like you were saying, they just got dropped out of the sky into a, into a situation. Yeah. So, um, how can you maybe be more deliberate in planning in general terms, something that's like this? One of the things that I believe is that you need to do your research anytime you're going to do, um, I mean, I, totally get the Heath Brothers switch piece, but if you don't know where you're you're going, then any path will do. Mm-hmm. Um, so trying to figure out what it is that you believe and what where you're trying to get to. And then I think some common sense around human nature mm-hmm. and what you know about adults and how they feel about supervision, what speaks to them as far as how they want to think about things. I think just having really being really clear about where you're going and what you you already know and how do you get barriers out of the way Mm -hmm. is helpful i think i went around the room on that but no no, i I think but it brings up an important point that part of it is we know a lot about adult learning and we know a lot about sort of the philosophical underpinnings or things that we believe as an organization right it's having those and sticking to them Mm -hmm. because expediency or a fast path would say, oh, it would be so much easier if we just put one coach in each building and the principal can tell the the coach who to work with and then they take care of everything and we don't have to worry about it. I mean, there'd be so many other ways to do it Mm -hmm. that could feel efficient, but they would be counter to what you kind of know deep down inside. So I feel like what I've learned is almost the sort of 
when you hear that voice in the back of your head going, eh, but I don't think that's how people really grow mm-hmm. to listen to it. And I think that's, it sounds yeah. almost sort of like a ninja, an instructional ninja, but there is an element of just sticking to what you know is important and having the fortitude to do that so rather having than having those guideposts that you orient yourself by. Right. Well, and I've read several books on coaching and they all have different models that mm-hmm. they work from. Aguilar works differently than Knight, mm-hmm. you know, and Sweeney works differently than Kais, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just, so I think it, what you're getting at is kind of take your what priorities works and then... And pick your priorities yeah. and make them your priorities. Yeah. Um, I also, and, and language is important. We're really careful about coach and we're really careful about um clusters um we don't use the term client you know i think as soon as you have that like but that shows up in some of the literature yeah Yeah. right you know so there is that very purposeful way that you communicate Mm -hmm. the professionalism of our model i think i think if uh sort of foundationally if i was going to start a model from scratch i would think about the concept of trust between the teachers and the coaches Mm -hmm. and think about the things that engender trust and Mm -hmm. the things that uh, are barriers to trust Uh, because it sounds like from what i'm hearing from other models is that there's not that trust there and so if you really believe that you know teachers are to be self-authoring they're going to be the agents of their own change then you have to trust them, you have to trust them. <laughs> and right. some of these other models seem built on distrust um, and fixing it so I want to throw this back to you guys I like to make sure that when I do an episode that if there's something that you know I mean I've been kind of guiding the conversation but if there's something that you feel needs to be included that you have a chance to uh, inject that into uh, into the discussion so if there's anything that you can think of that you feel needs to you need to add or or you want to talk about um, one of the things we uh, chatted about was that we haven't emphasized as as much is this idea of our model being a professional development model for coaches um, and that, how do you mean that that um, well if you go into this profession of education um, your routes for professional development obviously stay a teacher and continue to, to grow that way but mm-hmm. if you are looking for something different uh, sometimes your path is towards administration mm-hmm. um, and there aren't many other alternatives and so this is one chance mm-hmm. to do something different um, and to build a, a set of skills that we think are going to be helpful no matter where you go next, but going back to the classroom to be a reflective practitioner. Um, and I know as somebody who's gone back into the classroom after coaching, um, you know, it was a great benefit to me. One, I knew how I wanted to use coaches on the sort of downside of that is like I had a lot of high expectations for myself right yeah <laughs> what, yeah. I, what I could do now <laughs> I'd seen what so many should be doing. what I should be doing right and then what I shouldn't be doing because <laughs> I certainly did a lot of that after coaching um, but I just think like this model we are intentional about this being a professional development uh, you know Mm-hmm. Uh, sabbatical or away right. from, uh, to get away from the, the everyday decisions that a teacher has to make that really make being a reflective practitioner hard. You know, this is an opportunity to really develop that skill set. Well, one of the things that I, when somebody asks me, so, you know, what's next? What, what's so great? What are you doing? What do you, what do you think about this? I said, well, the greatest thing I, I like about this is I get to see the world, yeah. you know, because I was in an English classroom. I have taught drama. Those were the things that I knew, mm-hmm. right? Um, and now I've been in culinary arts classrooms. I've been in math classrooms. I've been in science classrooms. I've co-taught in those areas and things like that. And, you know, I've seen the way that 
you know, all the different schools, the high schools at least here and most of the middle schools do things. And I, you know, I mean, you always hear that culture is different in each building, but it really is. You know, I was, <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's totally different than what I was experiencing in the same district. So, I, I mean, I can totally mm -hmm. relate, at least where I am right now, to, to some of what you're saying. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you. I really appreciate you guys okay. taking time out of your schedules to uh, to meet with me on this. This was fun. This was fun. And thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan, yeah. thanks, Dan for yeah. organizing. Yeah. Episode 16 is a wrap. Thanks again to Debbie, John, and Jen for joining me to discuss the model. I learned a lot of stuff that I hadn't known before, so I was able to fill in some gaps between the uh, things I do know, which is always helpful. Uh, as for next time, we'll be talking with Diane Sweeney about student-centered coaching. I was originally supposed to have that as this episode, but she broke her ankle in a mountain biking accident and had to have surgery, so she wasn't able to fly out to Richmond for the conference. We ended up uh, scheduling something via Zoom, so that'll be the next episode. So I hope you all are well, and please check in at theednarrative.com, and remember Twitter, The Ed Narrative. So I'll catch you guys later. Bye.